We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Seated. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, um, some of us come this morning unconvinced about who you are, whether you exist. We're wondering why we're here on a church on a Sunday morning, and some of us are here convinced, Lord, that you are real and that we're desperate to hear from you. And Lord, all of us, what we need right now is a word from you that is timeless and a word that is timely. God, we need to know that you have a word for us that is timeless, that it doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter where we are. Um, it doesn't matter what we're facing. Lord, there is truth that is real that we, we could hold on to. There's a hope that is bigger uh, than all that is inside of us that says, just give up. Lord, we need a, a word that is timely, a word that is unique uniquely prepared for every single one of us. And God, I am utterly unequipped to do either. And so we pray that you would come in power through your spirit to speak to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alan Noble uh, wrote this book called Disruptive Witness. And uh, it's a book about how all the distractions that we face in life affect our faith. And he starts out uh, this book by talking about his own struggle with distraction. And this is what he says. He says, the person I'm most uncomfortable being alone with is myself. And that's okay because I've become very good at avoiding myself. For example, if I get stuck on an elevator and I start to feel that anxiety, the dread of having to examine my life even for a minute, I just take out my phone and poof, it's gone. Or if I sense that I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with myself about sin or doubt or fear, all of a sudden I remember that it's my night to do the dishes and I can't do the dishes without listening to a podcast. This is a great picture of what it actually looks like to be dis content. 
What does it mean to be discontent? What does it look like? Well, it looks like constant distraction. Uh, discontent means that, we're, is, 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 uh, means that we're dissatisfied, but what is it that we're dissatisfied with? What is, it, why, what is it about discontent that is so difficult to deal with? A lot of times we can't put our finger on our dissatisfaction, the reason why we're discontent. But we know that we're uncomfortable with ourselves. We don't want to think about it, and so we find ways to distract ourselves. Uh, and this is actually not a new problem. Back in 1874, Nietzsche wrote, haste is universal because everyone is in a flight from himself. People have been distracting themselves throughout history because throughout history, people have always been discontent. And so we, today we're going to be wrapping up this sermon series that we've been calling Authentic Faith. We've been looking at the Psalms, and throughout this series we've been talking about how the real God wants a real relationship with the real you. And that means that he wants your real discontent, but it also means that God wants to give you real contentment. A contentment that you don't need to be afraid of. A contentment that could help you rest from all your distractions and be at peace with who you are. And we're going to break down this psalm, Psalm 23, because it gives us a beautiful and powerful picture of that real contentment that God wants to give us, and we're going to break it apart by looking at three things. We're going to look at how God gives us a contentment that is bigger than everything that you lack. That's the first thing that we're going to look at. The second, we're going to look at how God gives you a contentment that is bigger than all your mistakes. And lastly, we're going to look at how God gives you a contentment that is bigger than all your struggles. So let's start with, with the, the first point of today's sermon uh, God gives you a contentment that is bigger than all you lack. The first verse of Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known verses in the Psalms. Maybe it's one, the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. These are such comforting words because if we think about it, all of us have something that we're lacking. Uh, and so what is it that we're lacking? That's the question that we need to consider. What, what is it that we're lacking? Why are we so di discontent? Are we discontent because we don't have enough stuff? Are we just lacking stuff? Well, if that were true, there would be no unhappiness on cruise ships. David Foster Wallace, he, he has this great analysis of why cruise ships could actually be miserable places. He, he says the great lie of the cruise is that enough pleasure and enough pampering will quiet the discontented part of you when in fact all it does is up the requirement. See, the, the, the reason why we're discontent can't be because we don't have enough stuff, because we need more, because if that were the case, all we would need is to go on a cruise ship. But the fact is, when you want something and get it, it actually doesn't take away your desire, it actually increases it, it ups your desire. You want more and more and more, and there's never enough. So maybe we're discontent because we need to want less. Maybe what we're lacking is more self-control or, or lower expectations. Well, the 
Dalai Lama, he puts it this way. He says, if one, one's life is simple, contentment has to come. And there's something beautiful about that, simplicity in life. Uh, we have too much stuff, and if we just had less and we could focus on the things that we need, we would be happier. We would have more peace. We would be content. That's why minimalism is so popular. I mean, if you Google minimalism or search it up on YouTube, you're going to find all sorts of videos about how to have a more minimalistic life. People make a career out of teaching other people how to be more minimalistic. But the problem with minimalism is that it actually doesn't decrease your desire. It actually concentrates your desire. See, there's no casual minimalism. That's why the people write books about this stuff. If you want to be a minimalist, you need to be all in. One minimalist puts it this way. She writes, pack up all your possessions, unpack things only as needed, give away everything that's still packed after a month, or wake up early, pick up every item you own, and consider whether or not it sparks joy. See if you can wear just 33 items of clothing for three months. Know that it's possible to live abundantly with only 100 possessions. Don't organize. Purge. Digitize your photos. Get rid of the things you bought to impress people. Downsize your apartment. Think constantly about what will enable you to live the best life possible. Never buy anything on sale. If that sounds stressful to you, it's because minimalism actually does not decrease your desire, it just concentrates your desire. Because if you have fewer things, the things that you have actually matter more. Don't buy anything on sale, because you're going to have this for a long time. See, minimalism doesn't take away your desire, it just concentrates it. So when the psalmist here in Psalm 23 says, I lack nothing, it's not because... He has everything that he wants. That's, that's what, that, that would be, that if, if, if all we needed was more stuff, that's all that he would need. But this is not what the psalmist is saying. And it's not because he wants less. He says that he lacks nothing because he's a sheep with a good shepherd. See, sheep are actually powerless to get what they want. And it's such a curious metaphor that the psalmist uses here because sheep actually lack a lot of things. Sheep can't hunt, they graze. And, and they're actually not very good with direction. And so if they're in front of a verdant field, they're going to eat really well. But if they're in a desert, they're going to starve to death. Sheep are utterly dependent upon their shepherd. And so the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He's saying, I don't know where the green pastures are. I don't know where the quiet streams are. I lack so much. But as long as I have my good shepherd, I know that I actually lack nothing. Because my good shepherd will lead me where I need to go. You see, if you, if you think the reason why you're discontent, you're unhappy, you're unsatisfied, is because you just need more stuff, well, you're never going to find contentment because you're never going to have enough stuff. If you think that the reason that you're discontent, that you're unsatisfied, is because you just need to desire less, you're never going to be satisfied because you will not 
decrease your desires, you will just concentrate your desires. The problem is not that we have too much or too little. The problem is that we lack a good shepherd in our lives. We actually lack God. The problem is that we lack God. If you truly believed that you had a good shepherd and that God is your good shepherd, then you'd find contentment no matter what you were facing, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've lost. You'd find contentment that is bigger than everything that you lack. And you'd also find contentment that is bigger than all your mistakes. Which brings us to our second point today. God gives us a contentment, a real contentment that is bigger than all your mistakes. See, sheep have a really bad sense of direction. They're prone to go the wrong way. Uh, when sheep are in a flock, they will actually just follow the first sheep that moves. Uh, back in 2015, uh, it, one sheep jumped over a cliff in eastern Turkey, and 1,500 sheep followed it off the cliff. And uh, there were about 450 sheep that died. The rest survived because they were cushioned by the first 450 sheep. It's, 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 it's a true story. You could, you could look it up in the news. Um, you know what the shepherds were doing? They were, they were taking a lunch break. Right? The shepherds were not around, and they saw the sheep run off the cliff, and they panicked, but it was too late. Right? See, sheep don't do well on their own. They need direction. They need the constant care and direction of their shepherd. And Psalm 23 is showing us that this is what contentment looks like. It, it, it looks like having a shepherd that's going to follow you when you're headed for the cliff. Because we don't do well with direction in our lives either. Uh, we we want to think that we're better than sheep, right? We laugh at that story because we're like, dumb sheep, right? We, we would, I would never do that. But we do it all the time. We do it in our lives. We go the wrong direction. direction. We prioritize the wrong things. We, we make a mess of our lives. No one wants to think of themselves as sheepish. But the truth is, we are. We're more sheepish than we think we are. And, 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 and that's not entirely a bad thing because, you know, it, it, it might sound better to be the shepherd of your own life, but if you are the shepherd of your own life, that means you better get your life right. You better be perfect. You better not mess up because it's all on you. But the good news is that if you are a sheep without direction, if you are a sheep that is head up off the cliff, if you are a sheep that has made a mess of their lives... You have a shepherd you will, who will follow you. Um, you see, if your contentment depends on being perfect, it's not going to last very long. No one is perfect. In fact, the Bible says that we are more than just imperfect. We're actually sinners. And I know that's, that's a, a word that we don't use a lot and maybe a word that doesn't mean a lot to you. Uh, but what sin is, is betrayal. That's basically what sin is. Sin is cosmic betrayal. Sin is cosmic. Think about what happened in, at, with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. God put Adam and Eve in this beautiful paradise. They lacked nothing materially. They had everything they could possibly want. And still, 
they disobeyed God and ate the one from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one thing God told them they could not have. Why did they do it? It's because they were discontent. Discontent with what? They were actually discontent with God. And here's the, here's the disturbing truth about sin. Sin doesn't just say, I, I want to be in control of my life. I want to be the shepherd of my own life. Sin says, God, I don't want you to be the shepherd of my life. I am discontent with you. I don't trust you. I don't want to follow you. If your contentment depends on being perfect, you will be lost. But if you can't trust a good shepherd, then you will be lost. But the amazing thing about God is that he is not turned off by our cosmic betrayal. When God sees us running away from him, he doesn't take a lunch break. When he sees us running for the cliff, he doesn't take a lunch break. He could easily. He actually chases after us and leads us to safety. The psalmist says, he leads me in right paths. He leads me in right paths. It's real, it, there's a, an important difference between following and leading. Because you, follow uh, uh, you could follow a stationary target, follow directions to the BART station. You could, you could do that. But when, when someone leads you, your, your destination is actually following you. That's the way that shepherding works. God doesn't just give you a map with the right path and says, good luck, hope you get there. God actually follows you and leads you. Down in verse 6, the psalmist says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He's saying, God, I am going to make such a mess of my life. I am going to go full sprint toward a cliff, but I know that I can be satisfied no matter how messed up my life is because you are the God who pursues me. You chase after me with your goodness and your love and your mercy. And so even when I am lost, I know that I will not be lost. Because you will not just tell me where to go, you will walk with me. And you will lead me. And you know, if this is true, what this means is that no matter where your life is in this moment, somehow the God who pursues you will make sure that you end up in the right place a place where you will be content and at peace. See, religion says follow the religious path and then you're going to be satisfied. And secularism says make your own path, then you're going to be happy. But Christianity actually says if you find contentment, it's not because you followed God well, it's because God followed you well. He followed you with his inexhaustible grace, his unfailing mercy. God will lead you in right paths for his name's sake. Some of you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, but if God's leading me in right paths, why am I facing so much trouble right now? Why is life such a struggle? And this brings us to our last point. God gives us a contentment that is bigger than your struggles. Psalm 23 changes in verse 4. Up to this point, the psalmist has been talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. In verse 4, the psalmist stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Why the change? Why does the psalmist go from talking about God to talking to God? It's because he's thinking about all his struggles. All of a sudden, he's in the dark valley, what, what some Bible translations call the valley of the shadow of death. He's in the darkest valley. He's surrounded by his enemies. And the more his intense his struggles get, the more he sees his need for God. So he stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. And there in the presence of God, the psalmist finds peace. He finds contentment. His struggles actually haven't gone away. He's in the valley, the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. He is facing his enemies. He's in the presence of his enemies. But he has peace. He has joy. He has comfort. He has satisfaction because his shepherd is with him. God is with him. See, contentment is not found in the absence of struggle. It's actually found in the presence of God. If you want to find contentment, you need to find Jesus beautiful and not just useful. You, you need to love Jesus, not for just what he can give you or what he can do for you, but for who he is. You need to love Jesus the way a weaned child loves her mother. That's another metaphor for contentment, and it comes from Psalm 131. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. The psalmist writes, see, before a child is weaned, she loves her mother uh, for what she does more than who she is. Mother is a food source. And so when I'm hungry, mom is going to give me food and make me happy. If you've ever seen a milk drunk child, you know how happy a child can get just from being with her mother after eating. But when you're weaned, weaned from your mother, you, 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 you can't just love your mother for the use she is to you. you. You appreciate who she is, the beauty of who she is to you. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he describes this whole process this way, how we become a weaned child before God. He says, the transition from a sucking infant to a weaned child, from squalling baby to quiet son or daughter is not smooth. It's stormy and noisy. It's no easy thing to quiet yourself. Sooner may we calm the sea or rule the wind or tame a tiger than quiet ourselves. It is pitched battle. The baby is denied expected comforts and flies into rages or sinks into sulks. There are sobs and struggles. The infant is facing its first and great sorrow and is, it is in sore distress. 
But to the weaned child, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. Her, his mother is his comfort, though she has denied him comfort. This is a vivid picture of what it means to be taken by the beauty of Jesus more than simply what Jesus gives you. Contentment isn't denying your disappointment or your hurt. You could scream, you could sulk, but then at the end of it, you, you see the beauty of Jesus. You see that even though he has denied you comfort, he gives himself as a greater source of comfort. It's learning to enjoy the loving presence of God in your troubles, learning to rest like a sheep in the presence of its shepherd, like a weaned child in the arms of her mother. See, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10. And the Greek word that John uses here actually doesn't mean good. It literally means beautiful, kalos, beautiful. It's the Greek root where we get the word calisthenics, which means beautiful power. Think about that the next time you do, make, do jumping jacks. You're, you're making beautiful power, right? Or calligraphy, which means beautiful writing, right? Jesus says he's the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, and that's actually a striking thing for Jesus to call himself because no one in the ancient world would have ever thought that a shepherd could be beautiful. Shepherds were actually thought very little of in the ancient world. That's why the youngest child was almost always the shepherd in a family. Think about David. David was one of eight boys, and he was the youngest, and he's the one that ended up the shepherd. Think about Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, uh, Joseph was the, the, the favored child of his father, and his father gave him a colorful coat, a coat and, and his brothers hated him for it, but did you know that it wasn't, it wasn't when the, the father gave him the coat that the brothers started plotting to have him killed, to kill him, to murder him? It was actually when they all went to shepherd the flock of sheep and Joseph stayed home. Because that's, that was supposed to be Joseph's job. He was the youngest brother. No one wanted to be a shepherd. It was, it was something that you gave to the youngest because it was dirty, demeaning work, and it was dangerous. David talks about how he faced bears and lions while shepherding his family flock. Youngest sons usually were shepherds because youngest sons are expendable. The oldest son, the oldest son who's the heir to the family, uh, the oldest son would never do something like that. And so what in the world is Jesus doing comparing himself to a shepherd? Is Jesus saying he's expendable? Is he expendable? Is he unimportant in the family of God? Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. There is no one in the universe more important to the Father than Jesus. So why is Jesus taking upon the work of a shepherd? And not just taking upon the work of the shepherd, why would he call himself the beautiful shepherd? There's only one explanation. Because he loves his sheep. Because his sheep are beautiful to him. 
Why does he follow his sheep into the valley of the shadow of death? Why does Jesus sit in the presence of his enemies? Why does Jesus lay down his life for his sheep? Because his sheep are beautiful to him. You are beautiful to him. You're beautiful to him when you're betraying him. You're beautiful to him when you're running away from him. You're beautiful to him when you're running headlong into a cliff. You are beautiful to him, and he chases you with goodness and love, and he restores your soul because you are his beautiful sheep. And the more you realize how beautiful you are to Jesus, the more beautiful he will become to you. Do you know how beautiful it is to be a sheep in the flock of Jesus? Do you know how beautiful you are to God? If you don't know, you can know today. And Brent and I would be thrilled to talk to you about what that means after the service today or during the week and if, if you want to know this beauty, you believe this, you believe that you are a sheep in the flock of Jesus and that you are beautiful to him, but it's hard for you to believe right now. You want to believe this, but it's hard to believe. That's what this table is for. This table declares to you that Jesus was crucified and risen to save you from your sin. And, and, and in this sacrifice, Jesus, Jesus gives you a reason to be content, even when you feel like you lack so much. A, a reason to be content, even when you feel like you've made a mess of your life. A reason to be content, even when you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or sitting in the presence of your enemies. Here, at this table, you can feast. You can feast in the presence of your enemies. You can celebrate in the midst of your struggles because you have a beautiful Savior who finds you beautiful. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and gave thanks and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, our beautiful shepherd. And we confess that we are blinded from seeing his beauty by convincing ourselves that we just need more. We're trying to force ourselves to want less. But God, you have given us a beautiful shepherd that is better than it all. A shepherd who follows us with goodness and love. And this table is the proof of that. So we pray that you would use this to refresh us, to restore us, Lord, that we would feel the anointing of your spirit over our heads, the delight that you take in us, all because of who you are, all because of Jesus, our Savior. And we pray that you would build up our faith 
and give us a contentment that we could find nowhere else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.